Thank you, Brother George. Please do pray for Leslie. She uh, came home from camp sick and uh, went to the doctor Monday and went back to the doctor again uh, Friday. So uh, please uh, just keep her in your prayers. And, uh, she'll and do be praying for Brother Billy's in the Rankin uh, uh, Medical Center there in Brandon. So uh, remember him as well uh, in your prayers. So. Uh, this morning, I want to, uh, this message is called Salty Fire, and uh, if you've ever been around uh, a house fire or some, uh, a uh, fire that's happened in the, uh, like a forest fire or something like that, the smell of a fire is very distinct and noticeable. In fact, you can smell a fire for quite a ways. Uh, and once you, if you, especially if you're near that fire or in it or soot gets on your clothes or that smoke gets in your clothes, it stays with you a long, long time and is very hard uh, to get out. Um, and so, um, yeah, so oftentimes we, we think of fire as bad, and fire can certainly be destructive, but fire can also be purifying. Uh, and that's the kind of fire that we're going to be talking about tonight is that the fire that the Lord desires for to use uh, to get us to um, serve Him. And as we walk with Him, we want to uh, be people that are changed uh, because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We sang these these wonderful songs that, you know, he's been so good to me. And I hope you know and can say, you know what, God has been good to me. Truth of the matter, you have problems and you have struggles, all of us do. And yet, you should be able to say, if the Lord is the Lord of your life, God has been good to you. Uh, Even though your life's not perfect and there's uh, things that perhaps maybe even you wish were different. Uh, God uh, is still so very good to us and should be the desire of our heart, the anthem that I'd rather have Jesus than anything else uh, in this world. Uh, and our desires and what we, what we seek after and what we want to have says a lot about us and about our relationship with the Lord. And that's what we're going to see this morning. We're going to pick up uh, in Luke chapter 9, uh, and we're going to begin reading uh, in verse 38. Mark, I'm sorry, my Bible's turned to Luke. I'm like, what? That's so crazy. So I've got to get to the right place. I was just said that to see if anybody was paying attention, and only Tim was, evidently. Oh, it was Bill, okay. So Mark chapter 9. Uh, and we're going to read verses 38 through 50. Um, so I find Jesus here, remember they'd been arguing about who the greatest was going to be, and they foolishly had asked Jesus, hey, let us sit at the one at your right hand, one at the left. Uh, so keep that in mind as we look and see what this interaction is. John answered him and said, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name. And we forbade him because he does not follow us. 
But Jesus said, Do not forbid him, for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. But whoever causes one of uh, these little ones uh, who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. For it is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having uh, two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched where the worms does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast in the hellfire where the worm does not die uh, and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be seasoned with fire and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good. But if salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. Well, this is indeed kind of a very strange uh, admonition that Jesus gives uh, to his disciples. John uh, here thinks that he's going to tell Jesus something good because they've just been kind of rebuked in one of the few um, instances where John is rebuked doesn't happen very often that Jesus has something uh, negative to say about the Apostle John. Uh, and so John speaks up and says, we were traveling down the road and we saw these people and uh, this guy was casting out demons in your name and we told him he better quit that. And notice the reason why he said that they told him to quit because he didn't run with us. He was with, with some, you know, he was in our inner circle. And so Jesus' power sermon that he had just preached to these two brothers went in one ear and out the other. And also remember that just in the last chapter, uh, earlier they were talking about, uh, they asked Jesus, Hey, we tried to heal this man. He was being affected by demons, and we couldn't cast him out. What gives? And you remember, Jesus said, this only happens with much prayer and fasting. In other words, it only happens by God's power and by you seeking the Lord, not trying to do it in your own strength and in your own power. And so they're chastising uh, this fellow for doing something that they couldn't do. But as we think about this and the lesson that Jesus is trying to teach about fire and salt, I think there's a couple other verses that I want to call your attention to in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, In chapter 8 and in verses 34 through 35, Jesus gives a 
lesson on what discipleship is. And this is what he says. He said, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. And so Jesus is wanting to remind us what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And I think there's three important lessons that Jesus wants us to take uh, as it relates to discipleship, because we all want to be Christ followers. Uh, That's what God's desire for all of us are to be. Regardless of whatever else God has planned for your life. He plans for all of us to follow Jesus. That is God's will for your life. And it starts by accepting the offer of the gospel that Jesus Christ paid your sin debt and my sin debt and the sin debt of all the world that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's the crux of the gospel. And that's really all we need to know in order to to accept and find new life uh, through this relationship with Jesus. And the disciples had made that profession. They followed Jesus, and yet they, as we've read through the Gospel of uh, Mark already, uh, and we're just a little bit more than halfway through, boy, they've already made some doozy and wallops of mistakes. And, you know... There have been some forced errors on lots of plays. And that will continue even as we get to the end of the book of the Gospel of Mark. So this is what we need to understand, is that God does not expect any of us to be perfect. We will one day be perfect, but it won't be this side of heaven. It will be when we stand before the Lord. And because we have given our life up for the sake of the gospel, that we really find life, that we find eternal life through this personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so the first lesson I think that we need to learn as we talk about salty fire is this, that there will be co-workers to praise. Praise God that there's no such thing in the kingdom of God as a lone ranger. That God never expects us to do the things that he calls us to do by ourselves. Because everything that God asks us to do, guess what? The Bible says, he does with us. That the Holy Spirit is inside of us working. We have the opportunity to partner with God. And so that... It's not us that's really doing it. It's ultimately God that's doing it, but he's using us. And that's a marvelous thing. But also, not only does God give us the Holy Spirit to help us, God gives us other believers. And that's, by the way, why it is so important that you're a part of, an active part of, a local body of believers gathered together, a local church. And I hear people say, you know, preacher... I don't think I have to go to church to be saved. And you don't. 
Going to church doesn't make you saved any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. But, because you are a Christian, the Bible says you ought to be in church. The book of Hebrews chapter 10 says, Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, which is the practice of the heathen. You cannot be the man or the woman that God designed and desires for you to be without being part of a body of believers because you need other men and other women helping you and surrounding you, not only to lift you up, but to encourage you and to teach you because no matter how much you think you know, you don't know it all. No matter how strong you think you are, you can't do it all. God purposely designed us and the church to need one another. And you need, whether you realize it or not, the reality is when you think you don't need the church, that's when you need it the most. And that's when you need Jesus the most. So, Thankfully, God gives us other co-workers. And listen, this is a good reminder. Jesus is teaching us in between the lines, if you will, a lesson that we need to celebrate our co-laborers, our co-workers in the Lord. That just because they may not be in our church or they don't have the same gifts that we do or they're not doing things the way we think they ought to be done, we don't tell them to stop. I'm thankful that God's kingdom is much bigger than Aaron Baldridge. And you put your name in there. God's kingdom is much bigger than people, and it's much bigger than preachers, and it's much bigger than local churches. It's much bigger than denominations. For God's kingdom encompasses people from every language and every tribe, every tongue. People that we may never know, people that that we can't work with. God uses and can use everybody for His glory and to accomplish His purposes. So it wasn't that this fellow was doing... We don't know who he was. Mark does not... Peter did not elaborate in this story as he was relating it to John Mark to write down. We don't know who this person was, but the disciples saw him, and they heard, they got close enough, and they paid attention enough, and hung around long enough to know that this man was preaching about Jesus, and what Jesus had done. So evidently, maybe it's one of the men that had been healed himself by Jesus. Maybe even, we don't know, it's speculation, but maybe this was Legion, the man that had these thousands of demons inside of him. And, you know, he had spent his life, you know, out in isolation, and, uh, you know, people kind of abandoned him, and Jesus came and cast those demons out. And he became normal. Maybe it was that man. We don't know who it was. But I think it was someone who had been touched by Jesus. Because you see, if you haven't been touched by Jesus, you can't possibly tell others what Jesus can do. And there's no, this man couldn't preach authentically a message of repentance and that Jesus could deliver 
someone, even from demon possession, if he himself had not either personally been uh, healed like that or someone close to him was healed like that. And be, So whoever this was, they weren't a cult, they weren't some false teacher, they were somebody whose life had been touched by Jesus And when your life is touched by Jesus, it's a message that really cannot be hidden and it can't be kept to yourself. It should be natural for all of us to be able to speak for the Lord and to tell others what the Lord has done for us. Because again, He has been good to you. Whether you realize it or not, God has been good to you. You may say, well, I don't have the Bible memorized. I'm afraid someone's going to ask me a question I'm not going to know the answer to. So I'm just not going to say anything. Well, that's a Satan tactic right there. Because Satan knows if he can keep us afraid and keep us quiet, then people aren't going to hear the gospel. But if we're not afraid and we realize what God has done for us, we're going to tell others and then other people are going to get saved and Satan doesn't want that. And so, we need to know and understand that the kingdom of God is much bigger than us. And those that are not against us are on our side. And friends, Free Will Baptists would do well. You put any denomination really in this camp. You can put independent churches in this camp. Christians in general would do, learn to do well to learn the lesson that we need to love one another rather than fight one another. We see others as our enemy when they're really not our enemy. Our enemy is Satan. And that's who we need to be fighting against, not each other. And when we're fighting and feuding with ourselves, amongst ourselves, Satan's winning. Thankfully, we know he doesn't win the war. He wins some battles every once in a while, but he doesn't win the war. We know that that God wins the war. Jesus ultimately has the last word. And so understand there will be people that will come alongside of you that you need to come alongside of you to help you do what God has called and created you to do for Him, for His glory, as your part of God's plan. Understand you can't accomplish it alone. You can only accomplish it with other people helping you and the Holy Spirit working inside of you. And so, don't ever think you can do it by yourself. But then I think Jesus is teaching us a very important lesson. And this this brings us to the second thing. That there will be sins in your life as you walk with Christ that you must confront. Jesus was not teaching self-mutilation. He was not telling, he was using figurative language. He was using hyperbole. He was not being literal. He wasn't saying, you know, go chop your hand off or chop your leg off or pluck your eye out. The point that Jesus is making is that sin is very serious and you need to deal with it when it comes into your life, even up to the point when, you know, it causes you bodily harm because it's much better to be maimed and get rid of sin than to hold on to sin and end up in hell. 
We, especially in 2023 America, treat sin far too lightly. Sin is commonplace and it's accepted. It's even laughed at in certain circumstances. And sin is never anything to laugh at. Sin is always serious. It always destroys and kills. That's all it can do. Though it promises comfort and it promises blessing, it promises riches, it never, ever, ever delivers on those promises because the only thing it can bring is death and destruction. That's all it can do and that's all it ever does. But because humans are humans, we think, oh, that looks pretty, that can't be all that bad, let me just have a little. Well, if you take a little bit of arsenic, it ain't going to be good. You don't have to drink a gallon of it for it to kill you. A little bit will kill you, won't it? And Jesus is making the point to us that sin, my friends, is very serious and very destructive, so deal with it. Don't put it under the rug. Don't put blinders on. Pretend it's not there. Deal with it. Well, how do we deal and confront sin? Well, as best we can, we stay away from it. Guess what? If you ain't near sin, you're not going to fall into it. And that's a, a big lie that we make. We say, well, the devil made me do it, preacher. The devil didn't make us do squat. We chose to do it. And we put ourselves in situations that are going to bring things in near us. Well, guess what? You don't want to have that temptation. If you battle a certain thing, stay away from it. But when you do get attacked by it, the only thing that can cure it is Jesus. The only thing that can cure it is us claiming 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's the thing, if God, if we've confessed it and God's forgiven it, it that's as far as God's concerned, it's, it's done with. But that doesn't mean that we say, oh, God, sorry. And then we go right back to doing what it, whatever it was that God's into trouble start with. Part of repentance or confession is repentance. And repentance is where it simply means changing direction. And so we don't say, God, I'm sorry I did that. Forgive me, and then go right back to it. Repentance means I come and I say, God, you know what, I really blew it, and, and this really has got a hook in my life, and I need you to deliver me from it. And then you get up and you get as far away from that mess as you possibly can. And you stay away from it. So what, if God has delivered you from alcoholism, then a bar is probably not the best place for you to go hanging out on Saturday night. Say, well, I'm so, I've beaten it now. I've been sober 10 years. I can go to the bar and play darts or play pool or socialize, and I won't, well, guess what? Chances are not good for you to be able to do that. But guess what? If you ain't hanging around the bar... Chances are you're going to stay sober, aren't you? If you don't go buy an alcohol, you know. If it's not in your house and you're not in places that say, guess what? It ain't going to bother you. 
Other things will come, and you'll have other things, other sins and temptations that will come their way, but it won't be that. And so how we can confront sin is we deal with it. We confess it to God and we find a brother or sister in the Lord and, and maybe it's even confessing it to them and, and not so that they can forgive us because the only person we need forgiveness from is Jesus Christ. But go into a brother if you're a guy or a sister if you're a gal and say, hey, listen, I'm really struggling with this. God's forgiven me and God's cleansed me but I really need some help to make sure I don't get in that mess again. And if you know somebody else is not only aware of it, but they're praying for you, and they're going to be coming and asking you, hey, how's this going? How's that battle going this week? You're a whole lot more likely to do what you're supposed to do and what you need to do. And it's so helpful and knowing that, hey, you're not fighting the battle alone, that there's others that are praying for you and supporting you and love you. And so, friend, do not take sin lightly. Deal with it and get rid of it. So he says there'll be sins to confront. So again, he's not talking about mutilating yourself. He's talking about taking sin very seriously and dealing with it. And he quotes um, that verse that he quotes uh, three times here about the worms and uh, fire not quenching comes from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 66. And in that chapter, Isaiah is dealing with people of Israel, God's people, God's chosen nation, that have refused to repent. God's offered them forgiveness and salvation, and they have refused to repent. And so they... They die. And the worms, you know, worms are a, a picture in the Bible of judgment and fire of destruction. And this fire is not quite, in other words, it doesn't go out. There's only one fire that never goes out. It's the fire of hell. And so there's people that were children of Israel that find themselves in hell because they've refused God's offer of salvation and repentance. And so there'll be sins that we have to confront. And then Jesus lastly reminds us of an important lesson that there'll be challenges to overcome. So we need to treat, you know, we need to appreciate people that God gives us to help us. We need to confront sin, and we need to understand that the Christian life is not always a bed of roses, but there will be challenges that we have to overcome. So he says in verses 49 and 50, he says, Every one of you will be seasoned with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. That goes back to the book of Leviticus where God instructs the Levites to put salt on some of the, uh, the offerings. And that it gives a, you know, a sweet-smelling aroma or fragrance to the Lord. So he say, hey, listen, there's going to be challenges that come your way. Not necessarily sin, but just challenges. Like three or four air conditioners going out on the same week at church on Sunday. 
or a car breaking down or being sick or you know, on and on. There's all kinds of things in this Bible. We just go through life. There's always challenges, but here's the thing. God will help us get through those challenges. And he helps us meet those challenges and helps us to be the men and women that he created us to be. So Jesus is reminding the disciples the road to discipleship is not easy. Not only is it a road of self-denial, but it is a road that's you know, plagued with difficulty. There's these temptations that you constantly have to be avoiding. There's just life that has to be overcome. But this is what Jesus' instructions are. He said, you live at peace. And you be salt. Something about salt, salt preserves. This is one of the few times, and Jesus does mention salt a few t- different occasions. And he asks this question about salt on, on two occasions in the Gospels. He says, you know what, I want you To have peace with one another. I want, in other words, I want you to get along. And sometimes that is the biggest obstacle we have to overcome is just getting along. He said, not only do I want you to get along, but I want you to be salty. I want you to have some flavor. Well, what's the flavor God wants us to have? Well, I think that it's the flavor of godliness and righteousness. It's the fruit of the Spirit that God gives in Galatians 5, 19 and 20. Love and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. Those are the things that God says, that should be evident in your life. Those are things that not only seize in your life, but not only see, it also preserves makes it so ham can, can set out. For refrigeration, they salted meat. And we still, if you go to Cracker Barrel, it's the only place around here that, that I've had it. Like, you know, the country ham, it is salty as can be, but it sure is good. And part of what makes it good is that salt. And part of what has preserved that ham is, is salt. But Jesus asked the question here, hey, if salt loses its saltiness, what good is it? Can you make it salty again? The answer is no, because it's lost its saltiness. Jesus wants us to understand that once we lose that saltiness, we can't get it back. And so he says, hang on to your saltiness to those that, because that salt and uh, even going through these fires of trials are going to purify you and preserve you so that you'll make it to eternity. But Jesus said, you know, it's so sad. Remember chapter 8, those couple of verses that were 34 and 35. We try to find our life and we try to hold on to it by, by ourselves. 
Jesus said you'll end up losing it. But if we surrender it to God, we lose control over our life. Jesus says then you really find life. Part of the reason you find life is you're not in charge of it anymore, so you don't have to worry about it anymore. But also because the one that is in charge of it is the ruler of the universe, the king of kings and lord of lords, the one that never makes a mistake and one that never says, oops, I didn't see that coming. And so not only do you not have to worry about it, but the one that is worrying about it never messes up and never forgets and never makes a mistake. And so you can trust him that, hey, things are good. Now, there's times all of us wonder, say, Lord, I don't know what on earth you're doing. I don't see it. It seems like you've got your wires crossed and you've confused me with some scoundrel that's living wrong. But I promise I'm trying to serve you and trying to do good. And yet it seems like I have the, the opposite of the Midas touch. Everything I touch just falls apart. God says, yeah, there's times it seems like that. Just be salty and live at peace with one another. And you'll make it through. And so that's God's message to us. Is that God wants us to look for and to celebrate that salty fire. That salty fire is to burn within our spirits that we are to have the saltiness and the fire of the gospel because the fire of the gospel does not consume and destroy, but it gives life and preserves. So we can choose that and we can live for that and find that we are very blessed. Or we can choose the fire of this world that destroys and find what we thought we'd built in life really was not what lasted. And it was not what mattered. There are a lot of people in this world that have amassed large sums of money. Lots of property. Lots of fame. Lots of notoriety. And then something's happened to them that will one day, if the Lord doesn't tarry, happen to all of us, we'll die. And they'll stand before God. And they'll spend eternity in one of two places. Not based on how much money they have and not how much stuff they have. But based on what they did with Jesus Christ. Did they accept that offer or did they reject it? Jim Elliott, missionary to some Indian... Many, many years ago, forget, maybe it was 60s or 70s, it's been a long time ago. Um, he went to this tribe, and they, ended, they killed him, and the other men that were with him. But Jim Elliott had written a book before then, and, and it's this famous quote, He is no fool that gives up what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. 
And so Jim wasn't concerned about his plane or his work or he wasn't afraid that any because he knew that God was in charge of all those things. So no matter what happened to him, he knew where he was going to end up and where his wife was going to end up. Well, guess what? That's not the end of the story. Jim Elliott and several other missionaries did die. Jim Elliott's wife went into that camp, into this tribe of Indians that had killed her husband and her friend. And she presented the gospel to them. And that tribe chief got saved. He heard the gospel. And he surrendered. And that rest of that tribe then, many of them received the Lord as well. All because a group of missionaries was willing to go through salty fire. They were willing to say, you know what, Lord, we know that there's fire, but we're going to make sure the fire doesn't destroy us, that it purifies us. And that we're going to hang on to the salt that preserves us and gives us seasoning and you know, attracts others. And it made a difference in many people's lives. The lesson that Jesus wants us to understand is it's not about greatness the way this world counts greatness. It's about being faithful and near to Jesus. Not worrying about what somebody else is doing in their camp and that they're doing it different than you or maybe even doing it better than you. No. Your concern needs to be, am I being faithful to the Lord? Am I near Him? The thing that's going to matter in this world is not how near you are to money or how near you are to people. The only thing that's going to matter is how near are you to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your goodness and your love to us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for forgiveness. And Lord, there's been much in these few verses that should challenge us. Lord, if there's one here today that's never received refining fire of salvation, they've never begun new life, would you help them today to turn from their sin and to turn to you, to accept the gift that you gave on the cross of Calvary by shedding your innocent blood and find new life today. Lord, maybe there's one of your children here today, Lord, they're struggling. Maybe with doubt, maybe they're wrapped up and sin has its awful hooks in their life. And Lord, it seems like they can't get away. And that there's no hope. Would you help that person today know there's hope in Jesus? 
that if we'll confront the sin that so easily ensnares us, as Paul said in Romans chapter 12, that if we'll cast it aside, we'll find new life in you. God, your word says in John 8, 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. On this Independence Sunday, we do celebrate the freedom we have as Americans. But how much greater is the freedom we have in Christ? And that freedom includes the freedom from the power and dominion of sin. That sin no longer has any authority over us unless we allow it to. God, help us to deal earnestly and seriously with sin and to confront it. And to find freedom that can only come from you. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Friend, let's stand together. We're going to sing this old hymn, Kneel at the Cross. Uh, I think that's what we're singing, isn't it? Near the cross. Same difference. Uh, we're kneeling near, near the cross. And we're going to say the verse of that. If God spoke to your heart, there's a decision.